0: Support for On Being with Krista Tippett comes from the Fetzer Institute, helping build the spiritual foundation for a loving world. Fetzer's new study, What Does Spirituality Mean to Us?, reveals how spirituality informs our understanding of ourselves and each other, and inspires us to take action for the common good. Explore these findings and more at spiritualitystudy.org. I'm Krista
1: Tippett. Up next, my unedited conversation with Sharon Salzberg, the renowned teacher of Buddhist tools for living. There is, as always, a shorter produced version of this wherever you found this podcast. Hi. Hi. Oh, hi, Sharon. (laughs) There you are. Hello. Yeah, I'm here. (laughs) (laughs) So I've got some things, um, some work being done on my house, which of course is not just my house anymore, right? It's my office. It's yeah, my exercise it's space.
0: It's, yeah. it's
1: yeah. yeah, it's my dormant, sometime dormitory and co-working space. So I'm getting these things done on the house. I thought it was all going to be done this morning, but, but they're on the other side. So Chris, if you hear, I mean, I don't hear anything sitting here, but you're, okay. Because you're, I mean, but your ears, in quotation marks, are often so much more Sensitive than mine. <laughs> yeah. No, they're they're mostly they're scraping. Like it's noisy <laughs> if you're over there, but they're not banging so that I think it'll come through. Okay. Oh, Sharon, I'm so happy to have you.
0: I'm so happy to sort of see you, be with you. <laughs> I know, I know. I'm so happy to be with you.
1: <laughs> um, Chris, how how are we? Oh, let me push record over here. Um, okay.
0: <laughs> Excellent.
1: Yeah, no, you sound great. The audio quality is great.
0: Oh, that's good. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We actually redid this room in my house so I could do the audio version of my book.
1: Oh, oh which good. Which was like
0: total, total torture doing because it was yeah. boiling hot. And that, you know, they'd say, like, people would, some of the producer, I guess, would say, I-, I hear the sound, you hit the mic. And then the sound engineer would say, I think that was birds. Okay. <laughs> you know, I can't do anything about the birds. So I
1: also find doing those audiobooks is really exhausting. It's
0: very tiring.
1: I mean, I've I've to drop into this low almost whisper to keep going for hours <laughs> at a time. Um all right, well let's just let's plunge in. Um I you know, I've 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 mentioned to you in online interactions that you've been very present to me um i've been learning from you this year <laughs> and um and you know obviously we we go a long way back at this point um mm-hmm. i mean if you if you kind of added up the hours we spent in the same room i don't think it would it would represent kind of the long conversation um, yeah. you know and um so in and also between the blog and in your books and and the time i've spent um the time we have spent together me often in the chair of the student but sometimes sometimes as the interviewer and then um um yeah this year and with the shelter for the heart and mind um, retreat mm-hmm. <laughs> which mm-hmm. was a flexible retreat that i could do <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> spread out in my house um so and and the bo- and the new book real change so i want to we will We'll we'll kind of we'll get to a lot of that. We'll touch on a lot of that. Um, but I guess I don't know. There's not a but. But you know what? I, I it's just such a. I mean, what a year twenty twenty. And uh, oh my god. <laughs> you know. I I guess I I kind of want to sit with you, just as a with your wisdom and presence as a teacher right now, and even in a in a way that feels. Um, Different than I don't know an interview I might have done a year ago or even six months ago. Really, kind of draw you out on some of the things that you that you know and that you've been teaching that are just helping me, and you know maybe will help others. Um, So, kind of just see where this goes. But I'll. um, So I've I've been journaling a lot this year and Uh um, a a lot, a lot. And uh, and and what's interesting is I was doing a lot of these. Sessions with you and Joseph Goldstein, and uh, you know, sometimes taking notes, and they kind of find their way in the middle of all the other notes I'm taking about everything else, Mm -hmm. um, which was which was great. And then it kind of flowed into it. Um, So so yeah. So you and I have have spoken on the air a couple of times, and Mm -hmm. um, and I know that um, this question I. I often ask about the spiritual background of someone's childhood. Um, you know, I know that that we're in a time of kind of what can feel like chaos and collapse and disorientation. And I also know that your early life had those a lot of those qualities. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm, a, you know, one of the things I've learned this year, um, including from Pauline Boss, the wonderful um, psychologist, um, is that. Is that when 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 we when we experience great losses and certainly these collective losses, that it can take us back to our original losses or to the to the kind of landscape of loss in our life. And so I, I kind of am, am curious if that's if that's true for you. And and what I but what I also want to say is that um, experiencing you um, as one has been able to do this year. Online, uh, but teaching, which has really had to me the intimacy of the teaching, everything online hasn't. But um, I've also really, you feel like someone who has so lived into, so is so settled into, and grounded in um, her hard won wisdom. Um, so, yeah, I I think there's a question and an observation in there. I'm and I'm curious about. How what that what that uh, draws out of you? Well, well, address. thank you so
0: much for all of that. I mean, every contact we've had, I've found beautiful and. It stretches back to uh, speaking of faith, you know, yeah, yeah, I was writing a book on faith and yeah. not many people were interested in talking to me about it, if anybody, you know. Especially Buddhists, I think. Yeah, no, definitely. And, you know, one of the great comments, I was teaching a class and somebody said, what are you working on? And I said, I'm working on a book on faith. And they said, I came to Buddhism to get away from all that crap, you know, and <laughs> I was like, right. oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, no, it's it's beautiful. And thank you for really saying all that. I think that, you know, I've always been a fan of New Year's Eve. It's so funny. Like, I've often said that as a Jew and a Buddhist and an American, I get three a year. We just had one. (laughs) We just had the Jewish New Year. And, uh, you know, that sense of beginnings and uh, letting go of what sometimes is a really hard year and almost ritualizing that and and having a sense of sometimes here at the Insight Meditation Society, we used to burn the calendar month really? by month, you know, yeah. and say, oh, well, that was a really bad month. But <laughs> here we are, you know, possibility. It's like the other face of change. There's a face of change that's like poignancy, and you can't hold on to anything. And there's mm-hmm. the unexpected, and there's that movement. And then there's the face of change that's beginnings and openings and, and renewal and all of that. And so I recently uh, I had to look up somebody's email address in the last – email I'd gotten from them was New Year's Eve this last this past yeah. New Year's Eve and and they were like I can't wait for 2020 know? uh, yeah it's like, this has been such a tough year and I thought right. yeah you're right you know like, you wait um yeah unbelievable it's just unbelievable and it's it just going on I I feel like I don't know if I, I so much feel like the echo of my early losses I feel the echo of my early chaos so
1: your your mother died. When you were quite young, and yeah, your she father died when was, I was essentially
0: nine. lost yeah. to you. It sounds like, yeah, and- yeah, uh-huh. yeah. Like I wrote when I wrote that book, Faith. I I look back at my life. I went to college at the age of sixteen, and I realized that by then I'd lived in five different family configurations, mm-hmm. each of which had ended by something you know drastically terrible, like my mother dying or my father's suicide attempt or things like that. And so. Um, It was pretty unremitting, and and it was actually that, of course, which sent me to India at the age of 18. Yes. Because I just had to find something that, I think if I was going to describe myself in one word, at like 16, 17, 18, I'd say fragmented.
1: Mm.
0: And I just had to find something to weave myself together and have a place internally where I, I could feel a sense of home and... The miracle of my life is that when I first heard about meditation, uh, which was in college when I was 17, I I didn't think that sounds mildly interesting. (laughs) You know, maybe maybe I'll study some about that. I thought I've got to learn how to do it. I've got to learn how to do it. And so I ended up going to India um, on an independent study program. Um, It's interesting you use the word chaos also because – it's it's partly that it's partly um, the sense of people being unseen or uncared for that is in a way landing most deeply um, in the sense of kind of reawakening the sense of being traumatized and right um, right you know. yes
1: yes and being sent back kind of to oneself
0: yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then it's very, um, I also feel because I am teaching so much or connected to so many people, I feel like the waves of uh, the beginning, you know, maybe tremendous anxiety and, and then grief and then anger and now just exhaustion. Yeah. And, and the sense of um, certainly a lot of depression. If I'm talking to people in a company or an organization, they say we're worried about the suicidal Ideation of our people, you know, and it's just so overwhelming and um but I really do believe part by part um finding one another and not feeling so alone and utilizing different tools we can make it through
1: there's there's a um there's some sentences in in your very new
0: book, which um
1: I think you were i think you had finished writing. Real mm-hmm. change mm-hmm. before the pandemic, but but it was pu- it's been published since, right? So you yes. wrote a, a very powerful foreword, um, and I think you know there's some sentences here that to me just really summarize um, a little bit of what you said, but also why this tradition, this Buddhist tradition, that you 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 I mean you did go to India and you also kind of. Together with the other people, helped bring it back, mm-hmm. um, kind of import it. You didn't know you were in the import-export business, right. um, and um, and I want to talk about that also also later. But but here's this sentence that really I think helps, um, really brings into relief how this tradition and its practices and insights um, are so are are so magnetic, but also so helpful to so many people, including people in and out of other traditions. Um, So you, you wrote, we practice in order to cultivate a sense of agency, to understand that a range of responses is open to us. We practice to remember to breathe, to have the space in the midst of adversity, to remember our values, what we really care about, and to find support in our inner strength and in one another. It's really so strong, so clear
0: thank you that was it was the oddest thing because i I did write the entire book before the pandemic, and then I turned it in, and a friend of mine was reading it to excerpt it for something and and by then, you know the pandemic had come and, and he said he kept reading the examples in the book and thinking, that's what made you anxious? Wait till you see what's coming. <laughs> you know, really? And I was like, ah. Uh. <laughs> so I went to the publisher who delayed the publication from June to September. Yeah, And I said, would it be OK with you if I wrote a new preface just to try to yeah. contextualize this? And, and they said, yes. And, and that was it. You know, so, so I got the really chance important. to do it.
1: Yeah, it's hard to imagine the book without it, honestly. But of course, that I've also lived through this year. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, I want to tell you a funny story. I so you did this. Um, I know you're doing a lot of online retreats and teachings and and just being present with people. Um, but I think maybe this was the first big r- retreat you had done through the I- Insight Meditation mm-hmm. Society with Joseph Goldstein. Back in was it March or April? Pretty pretty quick, soon yeah, into I think the it was pandemic. April. Yeah, April. And um, and and uh, and I've I've been since able to. It's kind of a, com, a company accompanied me. I I found it later, um, and I, I have to say, just even the language that you use to um, name it. Just felt irresistible. Um, shelter, mm-hmm. <laughs> shelter for the heart and mind. I don't know. Is is there a Buddhist resonance to that word, shelter? Is that um, how did you? What, what yeah, did you,
0: yeah. I, I think the re, the uh, reference would be refuge. You know, like oh yeah, we can find a refuge. We can find a sense of being sheltered, which isn't like clinging or yeah. or holding on frantically, but we are truly protected by having a sense of home, having a sense of belonging, um, wherever we are. And, and we can do that. We have to do that because the circumstances are not giving it to us.
1: Yeah. 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 And even, I mean, even now, it's, I think, less in this country, but I listen to a lot of the BBC, like, sheltering in place is a lot mm-hmm. of, uh, and that mm-hmm. doesn't, but it doesn't sound like, it's It's a bad kind of refuge. It's a hiding. Mm-hmm. It's a hunkering down refuge, Um that this is something spacious. Um, I have to tell you a funny story. Um, I, um, I've been, i been... I, I mentioned to you before we started speaking, I've been doing a lot of journaling this year and kind of journaling from these teachings kind of in the middle of my journal. It'll drop in. And then I type things up because I can't read my handwriting months later. And I type... So Josanne Gibson does... Um, he has does these wonderful long meditations um as part of this retreat and he um he teaches this chant which i, I think is the is probably a chant that that is at, um out there in other places the metta karuna mm-hmm. udita, upeka mm-hmm. loving kindness compassion Appreciative joy equanimity. When I when I timed it out, my computer auto corrected mudita, which means appreciative joy to nudity. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I just I like discovered it when I was getting ready to interview. So I mean it does it's honestly a little bit interesting in terms of how our culture might might diminish the idea of appreciative joy.
0: <laughs> to yeah, really? Nudity.
1: Um you know, but one of the things that I've heard you say across the years, and I think have never taken it in so gratefully, and it has never been so helpful before. Um, and you say this for all of us, which is all of us who, um, who on the one hand embrace these practices of of getting centered, of of getting grounded, of of becoming mindful. <clears throat> And it's and we never can do it very well. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and, uh, and you always say, the healing is in the return. Mm-hmm. And I think this are, these are this is like you know, me transcribing from this course. The healing is in the return, not in not getting lost in the beginning, that we begin over and over and over again. It's kind of what you just said about loving New Year's, but that's mm-hmm. such a relief. That is such a liberation.
0: Well, I think it's powerful because I actually think it's true. You know, like when I started meditation, like most of us, I had a different idea of success <laughs> and and what it would look like and that it would be very uh, much about accumulation. Like if I could be with two breaths in the beginning without my mind wandering, then surely by today I should be with eight. And then tomorrow I should be with 15. And then, yep. you know, eventually my mind won't wander. And I found it the most unbelievable thing that that wasn't the point, that Learning how to let go more gracefully was the point. Learning how to start over with some compassion for yourself instead of judging yourself so harshly. That was the point. And it's so funny because it's like, really, it was like lesson 101 for me. And it's Well, probably, it's a
1: lesson 101 in life too, right? Yeah, it's, and it's the yeah. most
0: precious thing. I use it like every day, you know, like, yeah. oh, all these years later because I've been practicing now for, you know, 70,000 years because <laughs> uh, the years have gone by. It's uh, I started in January 1971. Yeah. And and so it's uh, It's not 70,000, but it's 70,000, It's close. Okay. It's close. <laughs> or,
1: no, no, 50. 50. It's almost 50. It's yeah. 49 years. Yeah.
0: yeah. You know, so it's like, wow, it's still the, the most significant thing I've ever learned from meditation. Mm-hmm. And that I use it every single day because we do. We have to start over and kind of do a course correction or pick ourselves up if we've fallen down like every day. Yeah.
1: It's frustrating, isn't it? That this is true, <laughs> but there's something about accepting it, and even accepting it as a gift, mm-hmm. that that kind of does what you also um, are so clear about: is that we can't, can't uh, we can't change uh, often the conditions or circumstances that are immediately in front of us, but we can change our relationship to our experience of them and that that can change everything.
0: Yeah. And I think it gives us the basis for trying to change the circumstance, but from a right. different place, you know, not because we feel defective or deficient or um, desperate. it's <laughs> a lot of D words, but yeah, you know, like, uh, but because we have that sense of uh, compassion for ourselves and compassion for others and, Uh, We can move forward towards something even without necessarily an immediate result. And uh, one of the great figures in my life and in in the book um, is the Statue of Liberty. Mm. And I think it's the same message of belonging. You know, you belong. You're welcome. Even you. No one else wants you, but I'll take you. You know, you're welcome. And she's always been so important for me. What I hadn't realized until I was working on this last book so much, is that she's a woman on the move. She's in mid-stride. Right. You know, she's going forward. And, uh, you know, we can go forward from a lot of different motivations. And I think if we can have that basis of recognition, okay, this is the way things are right now, and I can see them. I don't have to be afraid of what I'm facing. I can see them for what they are. Then we can move forward in a different way. It's...
1: um. It it's you know, It's interesting. You um, you really are one of the three founding mothers, fathers. I mean, there's you and and two men, Joseph Goldstein and and, mm-hmm. and um, Jack Cornfield. Then there's another. There's a whole kind of lineage of, of other other people who um, often like you, young Jewish Americans, mm-hmm. immediate. Post Holocaust generation, um, having grown up in 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 a in a devastated world, um, where you know, this sense of spiritual groundings of needing spiritual renewal, um, and um, one of the interesting things, also about the story of of um, Buddhism as it came to the West, is that in, the, in that group, you know, in the in the early years, not in the very first year, but there was a there was a big out a, a number of people who became neuroscientists, right? Yeah, like, yeah, there's yeah. this scientific lineage that emerged yeah. from that, and I also really, um, you know, when I see you teaching now. That's so alive and it's so interconnected, you know, so, so just, you know, to what you were just talking about, um, about, you know, you know, being on the move and, and working with reality. Um, you know, you, you also in this, in this retreat that I watched, you know, you, you hold up a glass and you, and you just, you know, so you really do. And Buddhism really does get into what is the nature of reality. Mm-hmm. Um, so it is spiritual in the most expansive sense of the word, it's the it's heart mind, right it's it's spiritual also that's not disconnected from mm-hmm. from groundings in reality. Um, I love that thing. I loved it when you when you hold up the glass like is that something you have is that an example that you give a lot? Would you kind of walk us through that?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think you know because what I mean it's not meant to be abstract, it's a lived spirituality and and um, I think that's why so many people, uh, say Jewish people of my generation, who went to the East, we weren't looking to reject anything or assume another kind of identity. We wanted no. something that we could practice. It was like the how-to yeah. that was so important. Or I have a friend who um, was is British. He was he grew up in the Church of England, and he said that from the time he was a young young child, he would hear love thy neighbor as thyself, and he would just be thrilled, like this thrill would go through his body. And from the age of, of quite young, you know, as a child, he'd get into trouble because he would then say, but how? We don't like our, our neighbor very much, you know, or, or right. we don't like ourselves very much. It's like, how do you make it real? So that um, it's something that is is supporting you, like the word dharma in Sanskrit, which is usually translated as the truth or, the nature of things, actually means that which supports us. Hmm. You know, how do we get through a day and live through with those values intact and having our values be our North Star as we navigate through change and loss and joy and sorrow and all of that? That's what's important. And and it's always been important to me. I always felt that, that was that was the point, not a kind of transcendent experience that would be disconnected from how I spoke to my neighbor or, yeah. you know, how I felt about myself. And and so um, it it's always been there. And I think that that is the whole point. So the glass is, is meant to take a teaching about kind of ultimate reality. The, there are two aspects of reality that are talked about in Buddhism, relative and absolute. And they kind of complement one another. One doesn't negate the other. They fulfill one another. And the relative is the one in which we have Identification. I'm a woman. I'm in Massachusetts. Um, actions have consequences. Um, a glass is a glass, and we like to drink out of it. And this is what we call it um, on that level. And that's important to honor. You know, if I held up the glass and I said to the group, What am I holding? What am I touching? And I, you know, and I or someone said, well, you're, you're holding the lampshade. Everyone would worry about that person. <laughs> right. Because our conceptual, conventional reality, our agreement is that we were going to call this a glass, and that's important. But there's another level to that experience where I am feeling in that moment tension, coolness, vibration, tingling. It's constantly coming and going. There's space between those sensations. And and that's a direct lived experience. And the level of glass is something static also, because I call it a glass yesterday and today and tomorrow. But just making that switch, I can perceive the constant coming and going. That is life itself, because changes life. And we do that also with interconnection. Like I can look at a tree, for example, and just see a single entity. It's just like this tree standing there. Or right. I can look at the tree And recognize it's part of a network. It's the soil, which is nourishing the tree and everything that affects the quality of the soil, which is like the rainfall and everything that affects the quality of the rainfall. So I could look at the tree on one level and see a tree, and that's true. And I could also look at it and see relationship and and just this vast fabric of life, and that's also true.
1: And is there a way in which... um I mean, the, the last time you and I saw each other also was 2019, yeah, and yeah. you became very ill. Yeah, was I was really I think right after that. Yeah. I, maybe in that same trip. Yeah, it was the same trip. Um, I wonder. I guess I, I found I found myself wondering in terms of what you were what I've been experiencing of your teaching. You know, are these also particular teachings that have become more vivid, um, both through our cultural ruptures um and also your kind of experience of facing your mortality in the Mm -hmm. last year
0: yeah it was a very uh complex experience it was that same Mm -hmm. trip it was very soon after i saw you in california Um, in california i was uh staying with a friend i think it was a day or two before i was supposed to fly back to the east coast and uh I was actually staying in their guest house, and very fortunately, I was not in their guest house. I was in their house, and I just collapsed. Um, but i f- it was very odd because it was kind of blissful, actually, you know, it was this <laughs> very like I, I you know I thought I was having like a fine time, you know, some weird alternative yeah. experience of consciousness. Uh, not induced by anything just happening. Yeah. I thought, oh, this is really interesting. <laughs> and then uh, the next thing I knew, I was looking up and this total stranger, the ambulance driver, was there to take me to the hospital. Hmm. And he said, you know, I'm, I'm here to take you to the hospital. Is that okay? And I looked at my friends and I thought, why do I have to go to the hospital? And then I realized I couldn't remember their names. And I said, yeah, it's okay. Yeah. So, hmm. and I had sepsis and I was I was really not in a good way, but... um there was so much to that experience. I mean, just the, uh, the outpouring of love was just amazing to me. And um, mm-hmm. I felt so honored by that. And uh, the lessons learned um, and the lessons just about, I mean, the, one of the things that you know I often talk about, the first time I got up uh, using a walker and walking down the hospital corridor I was with, a physical therapist who said to me, it's not a race, you know. you get (laughs) further if you only stop now and then rest. And I realized that's how I ended up here to begin with, you know. Yeah. Uh, And it became like a mantra. Okay, it's not a race. And I use it like every day. It's not a race. One step at a time, you're going to get further if you actually stop and rest.
1: Yeah, well, the irony, which I share with you because I think – there might be people who experience my work and would think that I'm exceedingly gaun- grounded. and <laughs> and but I I mean, I look at the way I'd been living, and you know you were living in a similar way, mm-hmm, kind of traveling mm-hmm. all the mm-hmm, time, mm-hmm. um literally not having our feet on the ground a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's been such, and not doing that very self-critically. Or not as self-critically as I, or that you probably wouldn't like me to use that language of self-critically, but not mm-hmm. examining it um, mm-hmm. the way I have examined it this year by force.
0: Yeah, I mean, definitely. And sometimes I look at how much I'm doing now, and I think, how did I used to add travel, or yeah, or in this particular time, I'm I'm doing things, um sort of teaching online for things that have been canceled because they were supposed to happen physically, like in Los Angeles last week. And I think, why don't I think I wanted to be in Los Angeles last week? You know, like, <laughs> yeah. And how was I going to get there and all those arrangements and what hotel and who's to pick me up? And, yeah. you know, it is a lot. It was really a lot. I want to ask
1: you about just some really specific um, insights and pieces of teaching that landed... Helpfully have landed helpfully for me. One um, is that um, this idea of visiting forces—it
0: mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> is because of visiting forces that we suffer. Would you would you kind of put that into context and draw out what that what that is and what the implications of it are for kind of also living any time, but certainly in our time.
0: Yeah, that was a very important. Uh, image for me out of the Buddhist teaching where he said, um, the mind, your mind, my mind is naturally radiant and pure. The mind is shining. It's because of visiting forces that we suffer. And there are a couple of things to that. One is that these forces are visiting, you know, greed, hatred, jealousy, fear. They're not inherently intrinsically who we are, but they visit. And they may visit a lot. They may visit nearly incessantly, but they're still only visiting and then the Buddhist statement, it's because of visiting forces that we suffer. He didn't say it's because of visiting forces that we're terrible people or we're awful or we're, um, you know, not good enough or anything we might say to ourselves. It's because of visiting forces that we suffer. And and that's been so crucially important to me all along since 1971, is that the um, grid, so to speak, by which we evaluate ourselves and others is not good and bad or right and wrong. It's suffering and the end of suffering. Hmm. Like what increases suffering? What, what deepens it for ourselves and for others? Certain forces, certain actions, certain habits of mind. And what leads us to the end of suffering? The sense of connection instead of isolation or clarity instead of confusion. Um, and that's how it's all looked at. So it's not like you get mean to yourself, you know, or yeah. or rejecting when you see one of these forces. So I just love the image. And right away, I could see myself sitting happily at home, minding my own business, and <laughs> hear a knock at the door. So I get up, and I open it up, and there's fear. Uh, there's shame. There's jealousy. And I either fling open the door and say, welcome home. It's all yours, totally forgetting who actually lives here. Or... <laughs> You know, as we often do, like I try to shut the door and desperately pretend I never heard the knock, and Mm -hmm. somehow the force comes in the window or down the chimney. It appears. And so I I often think of almost the skill one learns in meditation practice is what do you do when you open the door? Mm. And can you remember who lives there? Can you recognize, okay, this is what's visiting. It is a visitor. If I get lost in it or overcome buy it, it will cause suffering. You know, it doesn't make me bad, it will cause suffering. Um, how am I going to relate to it? And so there's presence, there's balance, there's compassion, there's even hospitality Yeah, uh, that's a part of it. You know, in some traditions they have a, a teaching where they basically say invite that visitor in for a meal. Mm. Don't let it have the run of the house because that's dangerous, but You don't have to be so afraid. You don't have to be so ashamed of these things that arise. You actually couldn't stop them. And so use your energy for something you can do, which is deal differently. And you think about how many times, even just isolation, it's like only me. It's only me that feels this and how cut off we get from others and how difficult that makes things. And if we can even just disentangle that, we would Mm. be a lot happier.
1: Yeah, you. I. It's that's all so resonant. You you said also somewhere feel the pain of it rather yeah. than the, the disgrace of it. Yeah, um, and yeah. isn't that interesting to realize that that's also where we go with these? Is that it's disgraceful. I shouldn't be feeling this way. Mm-hmm. And, and how 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 small and and silly I am to go there. And
0: that that just stops everything, doesn't it? You know, I just had a memory, I think the very first time I was going to talk to you um for speaking of faith um, or you know talk to whomever it was and and I was doing almost like a pre-interview, and I said oh, something was do like, anymore okay yeah, <laughs> I, I said something uh, like um something I don't understand is why having less, say having less financially or economically should be a humiliating thing. Hmm. And that, you know, to be in a certain status or whatever, we then add humiliation, like you're not good enough, rather than your life is taking this course, or, you know, there's a worldwide recession or depression, and uh, you've lost your job. Yes, you don't have enough, but are you a lesser human being? No. And and so uh, that sense of disgrace or humiliation, which is, I think, a part of the culture's premium on being in control at all times, of all things, um, is... You know, Which is
1: never in touch with reality.
0: No, and I mean, look at yeah. now. We're in yeah. control of nothing. You know? yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah.
1: wow. Yeah. <laughs> Would you, um, I think the idea of the hindrances also, um, and really what we're getting at here is something I so, I so value that I feel actually gets... Um, it, it it's not often enough pointed out is which is the is that in, incredible sophistication um, of buddhist psychology mm-hmm. um so you know the language of mindfulness gets thrown around and of course there are meditation practices but but there's also this incredible analysis of what it means to be human and as mm-hmm. you said the how to like how to connect actually the the very complicated and messy reality of how we are with our highest spiritual teachings and moral aspirations um and the hindrances um and there's other language in other traditions I mean you know, I think in some ways maybe the Christianity group with uses the language of sin but but the hindrances. is so, so so you're so you you actually you actually call call you identify with um Lucy in uh, yeah. charlie brown
0: <laughs> yeah
1: yeah um. Yeah, and um, would you just kind of explain that and what that, how we can work with
0: that? something that I always found kind of reassuring about Buddhism is that, um, or the Buddhist teaching, is that it starts with the problem. You mm. know, um, mm. and some people are they find it a little disenchanting, you know, because they would rather talk about a liberated state than and the possibility of that than the fact that. I'm angry from morning till night or whatever, you know, one's experiences. But I always liked that. Um, and I felt from the first time that I heard that teaching, which was in January of 1971, it's not just me. And that clearly had been a pattern in my life, thinking it's just me. It's just me that has a family that looks like this. yeah, It's just me that has all these secrets, you know, about my father. It's just me. And so when I heard that the Buddha talked about these mind states, I thought, it's not just me. Look at that. Mm -hmm. And so it's the same kind of way of being liberated. Um, So there are these five states. The cult hindrances, not because they're bad to feel, but because when we get lost in them, they tend to give us tunnel vision and cut off our options and uh, really imprison us in some way. It's like the futility of misplaced hope or faith when you think, if I can only... You know, push against this enough, it's going to go away. Yeah. Uh, with anger, if I can only hold on tightly enough to this, it will never change. With with grasping, so um, they're they're kind of almost at adaptive states gone awry or something. Mm. That uh, they're not bad, but well, they're kind of survival mechanisms. Yeah, a lot of but yeah. they're
1: how we lived, especially through our our very <laughs> yeah. childhoods. Yeah. They, they were strengths at some point, but then they don't serve us anymore, which is also something we all talk about if we ever go to therapy, right?
0: Yeah, that's right. No, and yeah. I think it's really true. So you don't have to think of it as a you know, disgusting habit or anything, but it's, yeah. it, it is something one may not want to be using every single time one faces adversity because uh, there are other options you know, that will actually make us happier. So they're grasping, that's the first one, holding on, attachment, not attachment in the current Western psychological sense, but really clinging Mm -hmm. Um, and almost refusing to let things or people or ourselves change. And then aversion, which is the second one, is anger or fear. And in the Buddhist psychology, those are considered the same mind state, just different forms, Mm. anger being the expressive, outflowing, uh, energized form, and fear being the held-in, frozen Imploding mm. form of striking out against what's happening, trying to declare it to be untrue. And then there's uh, sleepiness, which is really a kind of uh, numbness, you know. It's like maybe when you face a challenge, your first instinct is, I think I'll take a nap, you know, and I'll just wrap myself in this cloak of oblivion and not have to feel so much. And uh, you know so it's sluggishness or sleepiness or sloth and torpor is the classical way of saying it, um, and then there's the energetic opposite of that, which is restlessness, which is agitation, anxiety, mm. um, guilt, interestingly enough, uh, worry, things like that, and then the last one is doubt, and that's really fascinating because there are some kinds of doubt which are considered just priceless. They're really important, like insisting on knowing for yourself what's true, not just believing somebody else and questioning and Wondering, And then there are other kinds of doubt, which are more like what we would call cynicism. Hmm. It's like not even trying to find out or look right. at something more deeply. You just stand aside and scoff at it or something, and, and it's not that helpful. So those are the five hindrances, which we see again and again and again in our own minds.
1: Um, you wrote this, um, this piece for the On Being blog um, a few years ago called What to Do When You're Paralyzed by Overwhelm. yeah, And actually that thing has continues to go around the world, that essay. Um, everything has eternal life online. It <laughs> <laughs> does. <Death. laughs> um, <laughs> um, and you actually confessed to, uh, well, I wanna, first I want to read a beautiful paragraph from that. The way the world bruises us as we make our way through life can weigh us down. Clouding our mind can also be the concerns of everyday life, the crises we anticipate, and those we are experiencing in the present. 2020 is that on steroids, right? Mm-hmm. On top of that, there is, oh, at this too, there is the news blaring at us from manifold directions. And in the eyes of many, much of the news is bad. We, ha- we all have staggered home, overwhelmed by the world, and slumped on the couch, unable or unwilling. To do anything to correct this collapse, you you kind of owned in that piece that that we talk about fight or flight, uh, Mm -hmm. but also there's then that's places our brain goes, but 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 another another um, posture related to those. Another alternative the brain gives us is just to freeze. Yeah, and that that actually is kind of uh, a place you go.
0: Yeah, that's my favorite place to go. Your favorite place? You know, it's like, well, <laughs> not really anymore, but, you know, yeah. when I was talking about the hindrances and I talked about sleepiness or sluggishness, you know, that would be a much stronger pattern for me a much stronger habit for me than uh, agitation, say, for example, you know, or greed. It's, it's not that prevalent. I mean, obviously, I experience it, but, you know, I would say if I have a primary go-to mode of, avoiding what is then it would be that kind of freezing or or uh, it's the same as a sort of sleepy numb out sort of quality and uh, so I was very happy when stress psychologists and researchers added that I thought oh there's me you know that that's much more me than yeah than the you others. know also,
1: also I never thought fight or flight was exactly the only the um, just, it was felt too
0: simplistic-hmm yeah well there's also what they discover, you know, uh, in some ways more in, in females is um, tend and befriend, you yeah. know, which is another stress reaction where you you tend to the more vulnerable and you befriend others, and and it's in that sense of community that you face the adversity or you, mm-hmm. or you face mm-hmm. the challenge. But uh, it's not nearly as highly researched as mm-hmm. as That's the others. Yeah.
1: Um these uh, you know you talked a minute ago about the visitors and there's there's some there's resonance with you know how you how you teach about living with, with these hindrances like seeing them um answering the door as you said mm-hmm. um which is which is a spiritual discipline and practice because it just doesn't come naturally. <laughs> I
0: mm-hmm. mean, yeah, it doesn't. And and there's not only a kind of humility in it, but um, there's such a teaching, which also doesn't come naturally for many of us, about being kind to yourself. I mean, I, I think about, um, I think it was that, Last it was that last visit I had in California and uh I I said I talk about it a lot because it was also um you know, epic, like I went somewhere, you know. Yeah. <laughs> was, um, and I was doing this program somewhere and there was a psychologist present in the room who said, um the brain filled with shame cannot learn. Hmm. And I I resonated with that and it's also it's so complex cuz here we are in many ways in a great moral reckoning you know yeah. with issues of race and so on and inequality and injustice and how to navigate that terrain in a way that's actually going to produce change you know and and not just spiraling down into like a cycle of shame yeah um, that may leave us inert. And, and so it's so intricate, like uh, really determining toward understanding and change and honesty about one's own uh, frailties or mistakes or tendencies or whatever it might be, and understanding that shame may not actually be a corrective path yeah. That kind of being mired in shame, you know, being overwhelmed by it, may not be a corrective path.
1: Yeah, that's another example of. It it sounds like a moral move, and I think I think inside us it feels like a, It I mean, it's a, it's a, <laughs> maybe a nod in the right direction, but in fact, it doesn't get us mm-hmm. where we want to go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's some place. Um, I just want to read this too because it's so. I think this is something you said in one of the, in the retreat that I wrote down. That you know, you said the patterns inside me are like weather patterns, and that you you've come to accept that my inner world has its own inherent weather patterns, as does the external world. The recognition that I'm not in control, and that. And that gray days don't mean I've done anything wrong. That all the ups and downs, lights and darks are part of who I am. Mm-hmm. Part of part of who we are. So I just feel like that's helpful in also not attaching too much significance to every bad day. Mm-hmm. Which, I, I don't know, speaking for myself, but I think also other people I know, like this has been a year of a lot of bad
0: days. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and we can be so harsh with ourselves it's like once I talked to a student and and she was saying I should be better I should have more equanimity I should be calmer I don't know why I'm so upset and I said well you know I'd really like you to write down everything that's happened to you this year this was a long time ago yeah. everything that's happened to you this year and yeah. she chose to draw it out instead of writing it and I was like hey, I want you to take a look at this your cat died your house burnt down You're, you know like, yeah. you've had a hell of a year This is hard. It's hard. But, you know, I think it's it's true what you said on every level from the most immediate and direct to the biggest, biggest level. It's like um, when we talk about equanimity in in Buddhism, it it can sound really boring and, and something like indifference, but it's not. It's being able to hold everything, the dark and the light and having a mind and a heart big enough and spacious enough to hold it all. And I recently had this experience um, reflecting an earlier experience I had where I'd gone to Parkland, Florida, not too long after the school shooting, Hmm. to teach. And um, someone in the room uh, raised her hand and she said, I feel really weird because I'm having an incredible experience like learning about mindfulness and practicing meditation and being with you and... I know the only reason it's happening is because that horrible thing happened. Hmm. And, and she said, I don't know how to get over that to be with this. And I said, I don't know if we ever get over it so much as we learn to hold them both at once. Yeah. And I recently saw her uh, when I was doing these panels. And she was on one of the panels. And, and I said, do you remember that conversation we had? <laughs> And she said, not only do I remember it, I think of it every single day. Mm. And that we can learn to hold it all at once. And she used the word equanimity because that's what I had used. And Mm. even though it's a little bit of an odd term for us. And um, she talked about, um, you know, the yin-yang symbol where the dark is in the light. And the light is also implicit in the dark. And that's really our, our task is to somehow be able to hold it all in a way that will allow us to not only survive, but go on in a way that we can stay connected and help others as well.
1: Yeah, you know, something else that you've been teaching and and writing about, I mean, there's a simple mantra that you keep repeating, which is, some things just hurt. Yeah, Right. And also that... We, that we actually need energy. I mean, I don't think this is the same thing as what you just said, but it feels related to me. That we need energy to be present, to mm-hmm. be with the pain, to find the space in the pain. And that also needs means that we have to give ourselves a break. Yeah. And that we yeah. have to actually allow, not, not just allow and see as optional, but that we have to take
0: renewal where we can find mm-hmm. it. Yeah, we have to. I wish, uh, well, you and I are not on video. We're not in the same room, but somebody made me a set of cups that say something's just hurt, mm. which I really like a lot. Mm. Um, uh, because I think that's part, that is part of the same pattern. It's like there's so much um, thinking that one could buy into that has us feel, well, I shouldn't be suffering. It's only because I have the wrong attitude. It's only because I'm not advanced enough. It's only because I'm thinking wrong that this hurts. And and I just um, I don't buy that at all. I think some things just hurt. And uh, what an unjust thing to say to ourselves. You know, like, mm. this shouldn't hurt. Like, really. Um, but what we don't need is the extra suffering. You know, it's the ways in which we feel like this is the only thing I'll ever feel for the rest of my life, or I am the only one, or or I should have been able to stop this. This is all my fault. You know, and those things we don't need. And and that's where a good bit of our work is, I think, to relinquish that, even though it may arise. And, um, but some things just hurt, and and it's also a place we find one another. You know, I mean, I have worked with so many people, who've had tremendous loss or or something horrible happen in their life. And the hardest group they have are their friends, you know, who then say, Mm. well, it's been six months, you know, like, time to get over it. Or one woman said to me once who'd had, you know, real tragedy in her life, she said, my friends are kind of impatient with me because nothing ever goes wrong in their lives. They all live golden lives. And now I am the symbol of life gone awry, and I make them uncomfortable. And I think you're right, you know, like that's the presentation. But as we know, a lot happens behind closed yeah. doors and yeah. within one's mind and heart. and You know, but that's what we're taught is like, let's all act like that.
1: You know, it's also the Job story, actually. It's the, you know, the Job suffering and the friends kind of trying to figure out what he did wrong to deserve
0: it. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Not nice. <laughs> you know? No. And that's why it's, it's an intriguing time too now because it's so extreme. Yeah, you know, so that uh, that kind of pretense isn't so readily available. So maybe we will reach a different level of honesty and therefore help with one another.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm just thinking as you're speaking. It's also it's so strange because there's almost this like the hierarchy of suffering is just yeah. so technicolor and out of control and overwhelming and. Um. It's just everybody's suffering, right? yeah, and yeah, and then and then there are just terrible, unbelievable examples of suffering that it's hard to even just
0: take in. It is very hard to take in, and that's why you know for me, something like loving kindness, for example, um, helps ease some of that ache of futility. Not that I think it's going to you know make someone's suffering go away. But it allows me to be there, yeah, in a way that I don't feel like I've got to hide or you know go back to bed or um, avoid what's going on. I think okay, this is how I can connect to something bigger that actually allows me to be present.
1: Yeah, metta meditation or loving kindness meditation is something you've you're very associated with, mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, within Buddhism and 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 and. Um, and I've I've actually, you know, been with you, um, and and practiced that with you in I don't know a few states yeah. um, across the years. And uh, you know, there's something for me that's happened in the last year or two, and I don't know if it's this matter of living in a time of loss kind of plunging you know me back into my early losses i don't know or mm-hmm. if it's just a matter of getting finally you know the upside of getting older
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. uh,
1: i have always and i know i'm not the first person to say this to you cuz i've heard other people say it to you in retreats when you lead loving kindness meditation that the hardest thing it's to love, yeah. is to, is yeah. to, like, you know, we, we want to wish that for others, and it's very hard to wish it for ourselves. I have recently, by which I mean the last couple of years, started to, started to understand how that the younger me, the little girl, and the young adult, who was such a survivor right who got out who made it who who just who yeah who survived and got out and accomplished so much in some ways by leaning on what looked like hindrances right later um that i haven't that i have been that i always that I have been so unloving towards her. So so sneering towards myself,
0: right? Yeah, Krista, something sin- happened, so I heard this oh. really weird sound and then yeah. you disappeared oh, you- for a while, and now you're back, but it says oh. not recording.
1: Okay. Oh, all right. Well I heard that too, but I didn't I didn't know if it was a problem. So are we back?
0: Now we're recording. So Does, the last thing recording? I heard you say uh before this was how hard it is to love ourselves.
1: Yeah, how hard it is to love ourselves, and uh, and I think in the last couple of years, um, and certainly in this in twenty twenty uh, during all the loss, and so I don't I don't know if this is connected to um, this reality that a, that a that a, lo- that a loss around us mm-hmm. brings us back to original losses, mm-hmm, or if it's just mm-hmm. like the upside of getting older, which is mm-hmm. you know coming to terms with yourself. Um, but I've realized that I. Uh, I've I've come to appreciate my younger self.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, you know, even pr- precisely these qualities that you're talking about that worked ag- that have worked against me and plagued me in a way as an adult that you would think of as hindrances. You know, my intensity, my impatience um, that that they were such brilliant survival techniques mm-hmm. for that little girl that I was and that young woman that I was, and that I've never. Um, I haven't, like, I haven't appreciated her, which is a way of not appreciating myself, and somehow, weirdly, a way of healing, of, recon, of mm-hmm. reconciling with all these different parts of myself. And so, in doing the loving-kindness meditation with you, virtually, um, in 2020, I started to—I <laughs> I don't know, we'll put this on the air, but like, I started mm-hmm. to call myself— I started to wish that for that little girl. And mm-hmm. instead of saying, may I, may I be safe, may I live with ease, may I be happy, I, I was speaking to myself and as you, right? Yeah, and I was yeah, thinking yeah. of this, this part of myself that had to work so hard to survive yeah, and yeah. did such a good job and now has to be integrated into who I am on the other side of that and who I want to be now. That's so know.
0: beautiful, really. I mean, it's it's incredibly beautiful. It, it sort of reminds me of somebody once said um, trauma, like a traumatic reaction is a normal reaction to an abnormal situation. Mm-hmm. You know, that we do have these adaptive mechanisms. They did help us survive and and we can be kind to them in a way. And it's also a little bit of a reflection of when all this happens and like the world fell apart and uh, jerry colonna said to me you were born for this yeah, right. you know because there's yeah. always you know as was he and, and as were you, you know like um the um you know the the feeling is i'm not i'm not gonna meet the moment you know like i don't have enough like wisdom energy i don't you know and then we meet the moment because it's it's just one person in front of us or one situation in front of us and one thing we're trying to help with. And, right. Um, and it comes from that that ability to be with our own pain. There's, uh, I was talking to this psychologist um, yesterday who was interviewing me for something, and he said there was some study, which I would have to look up for it to be a useful conversation, but um, where if you've been through uh, a great deal of pain yourself in your life, you are so much more, available to help others
1: yeah
0: and and they're really studying that they're seeing yeah that.
1: yeah
0: you know and and it makes sense instead of feeling well no i'm triumphant you know and i'm beyond it and i don't care about anybody else yeah. that or realize,
1: complete damaged goods right that's, that's the other right. way to go with that i'm that's damaged right. goods there's no way i can rise
0: yeah and mm-hmm. we do rise and yeah uh, because we understand and i actually uh had the thought as i was talking to him of something i want to look at more deeply myself was like, well, maybe that's why, you know, even having very painful experiences in meditation can be really useful because you, you know, you do strip away that pretense of like my life was perfect or I am mm-hmm. perfect or, uh, and you see, wow, you know, some things really do hurt. And, and we're all kind of in that situation and, and I can reach out.
1: Yeah. Oh, something just came to me and then came into my mind, and then left it again. um Maybe I'll come back um, oh, I know i it was really it was really helpful for me when you gave the example in this teaching that I've been part of of how you call so so the the hindrances are also part of the kind of the Buddhist cosmology there's mara right. As, that's connected. Is it part of what the the Buddhist the cosmology of Mara? Is that connected to the hindrances, Mara? Oh, Mara. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you, but you kind of talked about how when you're about you, you gave your your hindrance. You you give when you when you feel that part of these parts of yourself come up, that you give them a name.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Like uh, what what I say sometimes is if you have a very persistent inner critic that's really kind of nasty, you know, not a useful one, um, but really just brings you down. Give it a name, give it a wardrobe, give it a persona, (laughs) because everything is going to depend on the relationship we develop. It's like being at that door and you hear the knock. You know, like we think, oh, I'm going to annihilate this tendency. I'm going to be beyond it. I'm going to stop all those horrible thoughts. And that's not really what happens. We're much Mm -hmm. more likely to um, develop a different relationship so that we can hold it all, right? And we don't have to take everything to heart and let it guide us and and let it limit us. And also, we don't have to fight it. And it's just a very different way of being. So it's reflected in uh, this one way of practicing mindfulness, which is called mental noting, where you actually – might put a label, if the word comes easily, on your predominant experience, like in out with the breath and then thinking uh, sleepy, sleepy, whatever it might be. And you don't have to literally do that with the word if that doesn't come easily, but it's a sort of approach. And so I went, uh, Joseph and I and some friends moved into this house that a friend had rented for us to do a retreat in together. And when I went into the bedroom that was mine, I saw so someone had left a cartoon on the desk from the Peanuts comic strip. And in the first frame of the cartoon, Lucy is talking to Charlie Brown. And she says, you know, Charlie Brown, what your problem is, the problem with you is that you're you. And then in the second <laughs> frame, poor Charlie Brown says, well, what in the world can I do about that? Yeah. And then in the third and final frame, Lucy says, I don't pretend to be able to give advice. I merely point out the problem. <laughs> And somehow whenever I was walking by that desk, my eye would fall right on that line. Mm. problem with you is that you're you, you know, because that Lucy voice had been so predominant in my earlier life. If you really knew who you were, it would be such bad news, Mm. let alone if anyone else knew who you were. So, Um, but by that time, you know, I had um, practiced forever. So I had given my inner critic the name Lucy and then. Every time Lucy came up, which was actually very quickly after I'd seen the cartoon, I would greet it with a mental label. So what happened right after I'd seen the cartoon was that something great happened for me. And my very first thought was, it's never going to happen again. And I greeted it with, hi, Lucy. (laughs) And then, chill out, Lucy. Just chill. You know, which is different than, you're right, Lucy. You're always right. I'm worthless. And it's also different than... I cannot believe it. I've been meditating all these years and Lucy's still here and I spent all that money in therapy and I tried that new therapist and Lucy's still here. And It's like, it's almost yeah, like... And you, it's,
1: or getting mad at her or mad at yourself yeah. or even having the thought. Yeah.
0: yeah, you realize your awareness is bigger than the visitor. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's mm-hmm. more where you can live rather than being caught up in the presence of the visitor. So you allow her in and... The example would be as you know, I said before, allow her and give her a meal. Yeah. And then somebody I was teaching that once and somebody didn't like it. So I said, <laughs> How about a cup of tea? And they said, How about a cup of tea to go? And I said, Okay, <laughs> you know, here Lucy, here's your tea. Yeah. <laughs> uh,
1: um, so we we talked a little while ago about you. I mean, you you went to college very early. Mm-hmm. You went to India when you were 18?
0: Yeah, I was 18.
1: Um I loved I loved listening to you reflect on um you know how you 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 went to study meditation and for spiritual enlightenment and and then you're at this retreat and they're telling you to focus on your breath and you're like <laughs> I came all this way to <laughs> yeah. focus on my breath. It's <laughs> oh, so stupid, Canabby. you know.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> um and then also, um, and I just I hadn't heard you tell these stories before, and maybe you have, but that Joseph Goldstein, who is kind yeah. of your partner in crime and co-founder of um, Insight Meditation Society, and also just such a leading leading figure. Um, I mean, he that he was so honest about the difficulty of breathing. And when you mm-hmm. first encountered him, you just thought, "Wow, <laughs> this guy is really backward." Right? Is yeah, that what?
0: Yeah. I thought, <laughs> "Oh, this is ridiculous." Like the course. Uh, my first teacher was this in Goenka, and the form was an intensive 10-day immersion retreat. And um, so I walked into that compound never having meditated for one moment. And that was the first instruction I got was sit down and feel your breath, which I thought that is was so stupid. <laughs> um, what will it be? Like 800 breaths, 900 breaths before my mind wanders? And to my absolute astonishment, it was like one breath or half a breath, and then I'd be gone and... Way gone, and I was extremely judgmental about that. Mm -hmm. Um, I was, I was like so hard on myself. I was also very uh, naive, and um, you know, I'd never been in therapy or something like that. I just knew there there was all this turbulence within me, and so as I began seeing the different elements, like anger, for example, I once went marching up to Goenkā. And looked him in the eye and said, I never used to be an angry person before I started meditating, thereby laying blame exactly where I felt it belonged, which was clearly on him. Hmm. And he just laughed. And, you know, so <laughs> I, I I was like so determined, but also so judgmental. And those retreats were not completely silent. There were days of silence and periods of silence. And one day I was online for lunch and it was not a silent day. And I heard this conversation going on behind me. And. Uh, One man said to another man, how was your morning? And the man said, in the lightest possible way, like, I couldn't concentrate at all, but the afternoon will probably be different. And I was horrified. I thought, doesn't he understand, like, (laughs) the sacredness of the task and, you know, how we can get enlightened doing this? And what's he thinking? He's useless. And I turned around. Of course, that was Joseph. And Mm -hmm. the difference between us is that he'd been there about four years at that point, and I'd been practicing (laughs) for about four days at that point. And it's another view of equanimity, which doesn't mean you don't care, but you have some perspective on things, you
1: know? Yeah. I mean, you were only, you were in your 20s when you came back and yeah. founded the Insight Meditation Society. Yeah. yeah. I'm really fascinated by, now, did Jack Cornfield found the Insight Meditation Society with you and Joseph?
0: Yeah, Jack was having a parallel life in Thailand while Joseph mm-hmm. and I met in India, and then we all met up. In Boulder, Colorado, at the first summer of Neuropa Institute in nineteen seventy four, mm-hmm.
1: it's. I love. I, I mean, we don't have. I, I just. I, I love the the model. I mean, I, that you, you know, rather than creating kind of a brand or an ex- mm-hmm. replicable experience, you created the Insight Meditation yeah, Society uh, and. Yeah and it has rippled out from there over yeah. 50 years right yeah. which is which says something so, about having yeah. having 50 years and um also love the story of how you the the sign the the motto of bari massachusetts oh, Barry, yeah. that,
0: what was that you yeah. you drove by yeah we went down there we um you know we uh, joseph was teaching in boulder uh, at the first summer session of neuropa and Jack was as well and living down the hall. And I went to visit Joseph with a group of friends because I had just come back from India and we didn't know where to go. And our joke, although it was actually true, was that Joseph was the only one with a job and an apartment. So <laughs> we all went to Boulder and literally at one point, nine of us moved into his one-bedroom apartment. Mm. So there were people sleeping everywhere and, you know, around us was there and people we'd known in Indiana. and uh, it was a lot of fun. <laughs> and, uh <laughs> Um, Joseph got asked to stay on for the second summer session, and I stayed on with him to teach. And then Joseph and I got invited to teach a month-long retreat, which was the first retreat we did in this country. And then it would be uh, some combination of Jack, Joseph, and I or a couple of other friends who would respond to an invitation. At the end of an invitation, we never knew if there'd be another one. And we just mm-hmm. were sleeping on people's living room couches and um, – <laughs> At one point, we encountered this uh, guy who said, why don't you start a, a center in this country? It'll be um, like a sacred site in this country. It'll be a place where that kind of energy that gets generated doesn't have to dissipate. As people come together to practice, I know just the people who can help you. They're all in Massachusetts. Mm. And he was right. So, I mean, we knew nothing. You know, I don't even know if I knew what a mortgage was. And right. we, we came back to the East Coast and... Um, kept looking for places and uh, finally were directed to look at this, at that time, Catholic novitiate in Barry, Massachusetts. And um, so we came here and uh, we were really undecided about what to do. It was unclear how many people in this country would want to learn how to meditate at all, let alone the style right. we were presenting. So funny you to know?
1: think of now. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I was like, you know, in the places, it, hold, it sleeps about a hundred people. And hmm. um so we were really torn. It seemed like perfect. It's very pretty and quiet and placid. On the other hand, it seemed enormous. It was like so big. And, and so we went to downtown Barry for lunch to try to figure it out. And um, Barry's a very classical New England town with a town green on it. And in those days, there was a monument on the town green, which had the motto, Tranquil and Alert, which is the Barrytown motto. So we took a look at that and we said, OK, that's an omen. Any town that has a motto like tranquil and alert should have a retreat center in it because <laughs> we talk about those qualities all the time because yeah. meditation is, you know, commonly known to deepen calmness and tranquility and peace and also strengthen alertness and wakefulness and energy. And And we try to bring those into balance. So we went ahead and did it. We bought um, the, the nonprofit bought uh, it was the building and, Eighty acres of land, and it cost us $150,000, mm. which we did not have. And mm. so uh, that was my introduction to kind of the grown-up world of institutions and, and how you organize them.
1: And, I mean, you know, here we are 50 years later, and and this these practices and interest in these practices mm-hmm. and the language is everywhere, um, I... I wonder if you have thoughts about you know I I I kind of have this feeling like like Buddhism and these teachings and this psychological insight and the practices are really meeting the 20 21st century people. Mm-hmm. I wonder if you have thoughts about what it is that has converged in this with this ancient tradition and and the perilous cutting edge of humanity right now?
0: <laughs> well, I think it's, um, it's a few things. One is, uh, you know, what so many of us faced and why we went to Asia, it's kind of what I was saying before, was that it was, it was sort of religion or spirituality was about um, referring to the experiences of those in the past, you know, and honoring that, which is very beautiful. But it wasn't a sense of what can I do today with my troublesome neighbor, you know, yeah. besides recite this um, verse. And uh, we so longed for, not just me, you know, we all just so longed for something that was practical, that was direct, that was real, that was transformative. And, and that was integrated. I think that something that's happened in the West is that, People do not generally stand for um, what we would call hypocrisy, you know, like for somebody to be proclaiming something, you know, on weekends and living in a way that's different during the week or to be seeking the truth and then telling lies at work or, you know, something like that.
1: But I think the 20th century kind of encouraged that, right? And like Mm -hmm. the institutions and the forms of leadership we have coming out of that century into this one. That's a norm that people are becoming allergic to. Yeah,
0: totally. And it's it's just like uh, the insistence that that things be um, integrated, you know, and whole. Yeah. I think is very strong, and and mostly it's the practicality of it. You know, I've been to so many Buddhist Christian conferences and Buddhist Jewish conferences <laughs> and um, things like that, and what tends to stand out is. Um, really looking at ones on, like looking at the hindrances, you know, and seeing, well, what's the tool? What's the actual process for living in a better way, living in a different way? And um, I just honor that. And I, you know, I'm not identified in an odd way with Buddhism, even. Like that first night of my first retreat in January of 1971, Goenka said, the Buddha did not teach Buddhism. The Buddha taught a way of life. This is the whole point. And then when Jack was coming back from Thailand to teach, and he he spoke to his teacher Ajahn Chah, who's a very great uh, teacher, and, and he said, "I feel weird, you know. I'm going to be talking about these things in America, and Americans aren't generally Buddhists, and you know they may not resonate with what I'm saying." And Ajahn Chah said, "Call it Christianity." Yeah, you know, there's there's just a kind of openness about it that I've it's always been important to me, and I think it's important even the fact that as you say you know we could create the insight meditation society and not have it just refer back to a singular monastic entity in asia you know? well
1: even the first time i came to IMS, which was a long time ago before i had met you um and very much as a visitor and very new to understanding this tradition and these practices um I think there were a bunch of rabbis and and Christian yeah. ministers on 3 month silent retreats yeah. at the Insight Meditation yeah. Society. Yeah. So I mean that has that also is a is a reality of how this has penetrated the culture.
0: Yeah. And it's funny when you said that about the course Joseph and I did which was like April, you know, yeah. online. It felt a little like those times, you know, because mm. the center is closed right now and um
1: Right at the height of the pandemic,
0: right, and so, you know yeah. we didn't know, we don't know exactly when. I mean, I feel quite confident we will reopen, but I don't know when. And I also, it's hard to say how many people are going to rush to come. You know, like uh, yeah. someday, you know, it'll it'll be different than it was, but it'll be great again. I'm sure physically in physical reality. But here we were; it was closed. What were we going to do? You know, and and so we started creating. Like, that, things like that course, because it was a new beginning.
1: And didn't you have thousands of people?
0: Yeah, we had about 2,500 people in that course.
1: I mean, so many more people than could have physically yeah, yeah. inhabited the space. And many more people than you would have imagined
0: in 19, oh when, my God. Did you, yeah. 1971. We, we, it.
1: we started the center in 1976. So we
0: came 1976, back in 1974. Right, when
1: you were worried that you could fill 100 rooms. Yeah,
0: totally. It was... It was uh, it's still—it's astonishing to me. It, it's really yeah. astonishing to me.
1: I mean, another thing that I feel Buddhism has done for is—I feel like Buddhism has cultivated this con- contemplative practice, the mm-hmm. meeting the inner life of human beings. Um, so, with such concentration, and and there's this great lineage and the span of time mm-hmm. for that, and 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 you all kind of brought it to the West mm-hmm, in in mm-hmm. that way but I feel like it's also I mean all of our traditions have these contemplative mm-hmm, practices mm-hmm. and this contemplative heart and I do feel that um, it, very organically this tradition landing has encouraged those contemplative practices from others to to come out and but also you know Sharon, I have to say I just we're just doing a show on Howard Thurman. Mm-hmm the the kind of mystic and theologian of the civil rights movement mm-hmm. are you do you, are you aware of him
0: yes he, one he, of my like, favorite quotes is um, <laughs> from him um, what is it uh, look at the world with quiet eyes
1: yeah <laughs> well and he I mean he you know he was meditating in the nineteen thirties yeah, I mean he went yeah. to India in yeah. the nineteen thirties uh, this African American theologian and he brought the example of Gandhi. To mm-hmm. the civil rights leaders, I, I think you know the you know Thich Nhat Hanh, the Vietnamese yeah. Zen Buddhist um, leader, was somebody Martin Luther King Jr. nominated for the for the Nobel Peace Prize. I don't like there is this lineage, um, this contemplative uh, practice that crosses a lot of boundaries, mm-hmm. but that the 20th century didn't know how to cross. And I feel like I feel like now that. It makes sense, or kind of we've grown up enough or grown into seeing that. I don't know.
0: Well, I think it's really true. Like, uh, when I was at um, this Buddhist Christian conference at Gethsemane uh, mm. Monastery. with Thomas, da- Martin's, Thomas Martin's uh, uh, monastery. monastery yeah. And the Dalai Lama was there. He was one of the participants. It was a very small conference, and... Um, In the beginning, it was honestly, it was kind of dreary, you know, (laughs) like everyone's extremely polite and gracious, but uh, very polite. And and it actually all turned around when Norman Fisher, who's a Zen teacher, got up and he's like a really guileless kind of person. So he spoke with tremendous sincerity and he said, I just want to ask you a question. Like, I don't understand what's inspiring about a crucifix. You know, Mm. he said, I look at the cross, and it's one thing, but when the figure of Christ is hanging off the cross, he said, I don't find that inspiring. And I don't mean to offend anybody, but I I just really want to know. What do you see? What are you thinking? And then the whole thing shifted, and everybody from every side was talking about suffering, Mm. and suffering that has nowhere to go, suffering that you can only look at a figure like that and and have the thought he would understand, Mm. and suffering of losing your... Um, fellow priests uh, in a massacre in some place, or suffering of losing your country as a Tibetan, or, and all of a sudden we were like actually connected, <laughs> you know. And it took that; it took coming back to okay, what's real? It's like suffering. Let's talk about it.
1: Mm. Oh, that's an amazing story. Do you, are you okay if we run over a little yeah, bit? Yeah, I'm fine. Okay, because because I I want to tell you a story, and I, again, I don't know if this makes it in the show, but um, I I w- I was at the um. At Ram Dass' last retreat. In, oh, yes, uh, you were in Maui. In, in, in Maui in December yeah, 2019. Yeah. yeah. Um, if you think about it now, the pandemic was kind of in the world, yeah, but we didn't yeah, know it yet. And yeah. he was alive, um, although he was very actively and openly dying, right? Yeah, he was very... Yeah. Um, and, um, you know, to be honest, I... Yeah, I think I had kind of the stereotype that I actually saw in the New York Times in his obituary in twenty nineteen of you know New Age guru, mm-hmm. right? New Age guru Ram Das dies, and um, you know my spiritual, my mother tongue and my spiritual homeland is Christianity. Mm-hmm. That's, that's mm-hmm. where I grew up. That's my language, and that's also like my language of prayer and and yet Buddhist. Practice has just been really right, such an incredibly important part of my life, and and the and the insights and the language, the vocabulary, all these things we've been talking about. Something I did not expect, and I was invited by people I loved who just kept saying, "This this, this retreat with Ram Dass is incredible." I mean, it was happening twice a year, um, and went. And something I did not expect is that. Is to, is that it? It pointed at actually the Hindu roots of Buddhism, mm-hmm. um, which I was more familiar with, and how Ram Das to me became this bridging figure because he talked about God yeah. all the time. Yeah, yeah, right. And some and and I and it was also this experience of this of these deep deep. Connections that I hadn't made, even as I had been able to connect these traditions in my life. No, oh, I just wanted
0: to share that with yeah, you. Yeah, no, though, that's I, I actually knew you were there because I, I watched the um, videos. Oh, and I said, "Oh, look at that!" You know yeah. They're this? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and you know, of course, I was sorry I missed them. I used to go all the time, but he was at my first retreat, so I'd known him since January of nineteen seventy-one, and. Um, it's interesting. I was I was just talking to somebody about him because um, he he often struggled with the idea of not having a lineage and being this sort of amalgam, you know, character of all these different influences. And yeah, I was realizing that he was as often and he often was. He was the pioneer because we were all kind of like that, mm-hmm. you know, in in some ways without losing the distinction or the the actual practices of whatever we're we're committed to, but um, we're all kind of like that these days.
1: Yeah. I mean, his. we all wear these bracelets, which got us into lunch, you know, yeah. said, love, serve, remember, and they yeah. love people, serve people, remember God. I mean, that could have been the motto of my Sunday schools growing
0: yeah. up. Yeah, yeah.
1: Um, yeah, what an amazing, In these, in the sense in which you and I are speaking, it is an amazing time to be alive. Amazing things we're learning. Um I I do want to touch a bit on, you know, the your 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 new book is real change and the connection you're making that I also feel is really organically revealing itself in a new way in this young century between inner life and outer presence in the world. Um I, I would email say, like you know, that that Buddhist tradition cultivated this contemplative heart, and is, and this, and and is now kind of pointing at the psychological and almost the cosmic possibilities of, and the and the and the practical public life possibilities mm-hmm. of of a cultivated inner life of human beings. And you said somewhere, I was reading an interview you gave this year, one of the weirdest results of meditation is a powerful sense of connection to others. Isn't that weird? Like, <laughs> but it's everything, isn't yeah. it? I mean, it's really where you're going with this now, and I think what, where a lot of people are going with this.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, it's weird, you know, just because on the face of it, it's such a solitary activity. Like, you might be all alone, you might be, um, you know, sitting with your eyes closed, but there's such a profound truth to interconnection. That uh, gets revealed, you know, and it's not because we're superimposing the idea, like, uh, you know, I have to see it that way. But that's what we see. You know, we we do see that as alone as we might feel that our lives are really intertwined. Or, I mean, we do it in a lot of different ways. We can do it through reflection. Like if I was going into a company or an organization to teach, I always would ask, uh, how many other people need to be doing their job well for you to do your job well? Hmm. Because we feel like, oh, it's just me, but really, what's the truth? Like I was talking to a, a medical um the head of a medical practice not too long ago, and he said, "You know who I'm really appreciating in a whole new way is the cleaning staff, yeah, and you think, well, yeah, you know, like yeah, look at how many people we rely on, or when I teach loving kindness practice, one of the categories classically is a neutral person, somebody we don't like or dislike very much. and So we, you'd send
1: out for wishes for happiness and Yeah, and so we might be silently repeating
0: phrases like, may you be happy, may you be healthy, um, just to sort of acknowledge them and, yeah. and wish them well. And, and probably for 45 years when we talk about that neutral person, My colleagues and I would say, like the checkout person in the supermarket, the kind of person Mm. you usually look right through, you couldn't care less about. And, you know, I heard myself say that and go, whoops, look at that. You know, how do we think we get to eat? Right. Mm -hmm.
1: Well, right. And that's where, don't you feel in so many ways that some of the fundamental experience of 2020 has been shedding light on these mm-hmm. elemental spiritual <laughs> realities of that the ground beneath our feet is never more um is never as solid as we think it is. And also this that um this way it forced us to think about what is essential and non essential and how that cast a whole new light on mm-hmm. all kinds of people around us who we weren't paying attention to.
0: Oh absolutely and, and you can also see the rupture, you know, that's the place of the rupture. It's like I do a lot of work uh, in general with what we might call caregivers, you know, people and yeah. kind of on the front lines of suffering. And often these days it's been medical personnel. And and I was doing this program uh, for like EMT people and ambulance drivers. And I asked the organizers, well, what would be helpful, do you think? And she'd say, they are so angry. They see people walking around without masks and they're so angry. Mm. And I think, well, yeah, you know, like if I were in that position, I might look at somebody and think, 10 more days. You know, yeah. your life could yeah. be in my hands and my life could be in your hands. And it's the missing of that. It's just where I think we see the rupture. But for so many other people, there's a growing appreciation in a very real sense of that. Like when I left New York City, um, which was in mid-March, just because I thought, this doesn't feel really good here. I have a home in Barry. I have a retreat center, which was then open. Um, why don't I go up there for a couple of weeks? So I came up here with my snow boots. <laughs> and I'm still True. there, you know? Yeah. Um, and even then, the last times I taught where people were, like, starting to get so anxious. And I would try to offer, well, how about try breathing, you know, or Try loving kindness and nothing worked. And what always worked was when I said, can you help somebody? Mm. And they would say, oh, yeah, you know, I have like an elderly neighbor. I could try doing their shopping. Or um, people now tell me I've lived in this apartment for 12 years. I never even knew my neighbor's names. And now we all have one another's phone numbers in case somebody needs help. And
1: And I think you're saying like that's... That's inner life and it's outer life all at the same time.
0: Yeah, it's, it's totally united, you know, yeah, like. Yeah. It's the yeah. way we get the, the sense of um, freedom to keep doing what we're doing. And we need, many of us need a kind of reflective or contemplative or, or introspective meditative component to that so that we can keep connecting to that truth as well.
1: I, I also experience in new generations um, a wisdom about this mm-hmm. and, and, and a wisdom that I think, um, a perspective that I think 2020 has only deepened, which is that the work ahead of us to create the world we want to live in, that we want to offer to future generations, um, that that work is, that, that the work of the rest, that's the work of the rest of our lifetimes. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm it's It's long. it's 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 transformation that's needed. And then experience new generations of caregivers and and social change agents to understand that they're going to need renewal mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. to keep going
0: mm-hmm. I mean, that's the absolute reality, and it often feels oh, you know,
1: hang on a second. I think Chris, I don't know if you can hear that, but there's noise outside my house. I'll be right back.
0: so what happens like those times that I hear Krista's voice is really distorted are you capturing it yeah sorry uh huh uh huh
1: okay Uh this is our world now um
0: sorry I don't know where were you um I think I was saying yeah like people often feel like it's so wrong or selfish to try to do those practices that help their own renewal and that they should just march on, you know, and it's like me, you know, it's not a race. Uh, You'll get further if you can just take a break now and then, but it feels wrong and selfish and it takes a a whole reorientation to, to say, yeah, you know, like this is important because um, people, you know, those kinds of people who are on the front lines of suffering, trying to make a difference, um, they have so much empathy, they care so much, and they're burning out in droves because yeah. maybe they're not caring that much for themselves or as well as somebody else or or there's that sense of uh, lack of limits, like I'm gonna make this all better by tomorrow, and you know, ways that are just uh, unjust ways of thinking uh, toward ourselves. And so there's a different kind of balance. And interestingly, when you talked about round us, um, I was teaching with him once in Maui, and he talked about how once he had the stroke, which was so massive, and then, you know, as you saw, he was in, he was in a wheelchair for, I think, like 19 years or something like that. Yeah. And yeah. His speech was, you know, quite affected. Um, and he was giving a talk, and he said, the hardest thing of all, aside from, you know, beyond the pain or the disability was accepting help from others. And I (laughs) knew that was absolutely true because I'd known him all these years. He was such a curmudgeon, you know, like, Mm. and uh, he was amazing about helping others. And it was very difficult to even thank him, for example, and have him receive it. And he said that turned around. He said it was the hardest thing of all and the most freeing. And he pointed out that one of his famous books was called um, how can I help? And he said, Now I want to write a book called How Can You Help Me? And I felt like the removal of that barrier yeah. made him completely transparent and he was you know, he was just like made of light toward the end. He was. I
1: experienced that. It was just a physical it was just, just physically incredible to be in his presence. Um you know, it strikes me that what you're talking about is like a it's like a national Hindrance. Mm-hmm. It's like an American hindrance, a hindrance in our national character. That I mean, we've all been conditioned to think that it's optional or indulgent. Mm-hmm. That first of all, that we have to accomplish, 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 even if what we're doing is caring and helping, and and that it somehow would be indulgent to to let ourselves get rested and renewed and understand that that has to go hand in hand with the work, with the hardest work, all the time, all along the way. I also think that, I also feel like what Buddhism and the things that you're teaching are offering is is, is also about us cultivating a contemplative, a a contemplation muscle, a reflection muscle, a discernment muscle, Mm -hmm. alongside our kind of cultural reverence for doing and striving.
0: Yeah, I think, you know, like, I don't really... um get to name my books, you know, and really choose mm-hmm. the titles for the most part. Mm-hmm. And so people are laughing, or they're teasing me now because of the word real in so many of my books, you know, and and it was just given <laughs> to me. Real the, love. Real love. Real change. Real, yes. real happiness at work. Real, real happiness, you know, yeah.
1: yeah.
0: Uh, and so somehow I got on the real train and, and it was all the publishers, you know, they, they decided what the books were going to be called. But now I actually kind of appreciate it because... We have to see, okay, what is real? You know, you're, you're burning out. It's so hard. You're, you're doing the same work from in a very different way. Or look at the organization and how you yeah. speak to one another. And um, look at how meaningless things have become in, in a certain level uh, for you. And it doesn't have to be that way. So what, what's real in terms of that link between inner transformation and outer transformation? Like what, what can we actually practice? That's why tools is my favorite word, you know.
1: Yeah, I've thought a lot in 2020 about a professor, uh, a theologian, professor I had at Divinity School, who talked about the really real—that the kind of the religious theological mindset is always like trying to discern the really real as over against kind of what is given us as real, Mm -hmm. and somehow that feels like such a relevant, practical teaching. <laughs> in this, at this advanced stage of our species, <laughs> um, one other thing, one final thing that I that I took from um that I've taken from this um, retreat I've been on with you virtually, and is um, I mean I've spoken with you previously, including on the show, mm-hmm. about enemies. And you know, you just you just said it really clearly and you know, we as you know, we live in this moment where which is it's I mean divided doesn't doesn't do it. We have chasms mm-hmm. between us mm-hmm. and there's a lot of um there's a lot of enemy feeling and language and posturing, and you know, you said, you know, loving your enemies is science. Mm-hmm. I mean, if, yes, it's a teaching of loving of loving kindness. It's a it's a spiritual teaching, but that it's actually the most pragmatic mm-hmm. teaching. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, sometimes people feel, when they say, you know, if I hear something like. Uh, generosity or kindness will help you feel more free and free up that energy, which you will need, then I think that's selfish. That's bad, you know, because then my motive is impure. And and I usually say, well, that's not greed. That's science. You know, if you devote your energy in a certain direction, um, you're going to be depleted, very likely. And uh, you're going to feel more alone and you're going to suffer. And that's not the basis for, Trying to make a difference, and so, um, what can we do that actually is going to have us feel some sense of renewal and some sense of possibility? Because things are so bad, yeah, in so many ways, and and uh, you know, but to remember, oh, you know, people can find one another, and and we can understand one another in, in a different way. Like, how do we get back to that? just conviction, you know, that that's possible. We do need energy um, for that. And and so what is going to have that energy come forward and, and be something that can serve us and, in some way? And, and we have to look at that, and it's science. You know, if we um, – that's one of the great things I found about mindfulness is that you get to look at your own mind. And so all those things you may have been taught, and I feel I was taught um, – you know, it's a dog eat dog world. Don't take care of yeah. anyone else; they're not going to take care of you. And, uh, you know, I remember my father saying something in one of his brief visits back um, when he was already, you know, he was so trashed mentally, and he said something like, "You can't, you can't let people affect you." You know, like you can't. Yeah. And I think, really, is that the lesson? You know, that I'm supposed to absorb? But I did absorb it. Mm-hmm. And then you get to look at those things in your own minds and all these things that you've believed, like vengefulness is really going to make you strong and you look at it and you think, well, that was a myth, you know, like, Mm -hmm. look how painful that state is to be enclosed in that way and shut off to anything else. And things like compassion is stupid and make you too weak. And, And really look at that, look at this state itself. It's not like that. And so we get to discover all the things that are possible for us. And we see, you know, I don't want to live a life that is based on, you know, it's a dog-eat-dog dog world, and yeah, uh, I don't want to feel that alone. I don't want to feel that frightened, and um, I have I have possibilities. You know, there are choices, because if I can see those assumptions arise in my mind as they're arising, you know, not seven years later, but, like, as it's happening, then I can say, it's just like, it's the same thing. It's probably all the same lesson. Everything's like a fractal in the dharma. You know, like, you open the door, and there's the visitor. <laughs> and you say, oh, there you are, you know, have a cup of tea, you know, sit. I'm not going there again. Mm -hmm. And it's the gentlest thing. It's not angry at yourself, and it's not full of shame and trying to avoid what's going on. It's just saying, I don't need to go down there again.
1: It's another form of strength. Yeah. That is good for us. Um. There was a section where you were teaching Shelter for the Heart and Mind, which I, I wrote down, and it looked it came out looking like a poem. <laughs> a, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, like a, it's 11-line poem. I'm going to read it to you, and it's simple, and yet it's, yeah, I think it's in this category of what is really true. Um, I do the best I can. I try to learn from my mistakes, and the world is the world of constant change and pleasure and pain, and being thanked and not being thanked, all of those things. And so that's where equanimity comes in, as a kind of comprehension of this is the way things are.
0: Wow, that's great.
1: <laughs> that's beautiful. <laughs> it's you. No, it's you. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was like literally your words. Wow, but when, But when I wrote them out... I I realize that it's it's like this complete meditation. Um, you want to say any, any more about that? That feels like in some ways it sums up so much of what we've been talking about. I'll send you this so you can see it as a poem.
0: That's so beautiful. I'm so glad. I mean, I, you know, as you know, uh, from yourself and like many people, it's like, I never know what I'm going to say, you know, so it yeah. just kind of emerges. And, um which is how I learned to teach. And because when I we started, Joseph and I, uh, I was too petrified to do any of the talks. And like I said, we started with a month long retreat, which meant mm-hmm. um, because of the way we hold retreats where you practice all day and there's maybe teacher contact or questions and answers. And, and there's only one lecture a night and it's like the formal talk. And I couldn't do any of them because I was too scared. And and Joseph had to do 30 talks, which he still brings up sometimes, <laughs> um, <laughs> you know. But uh, it was only through uh, my later kind of development of loving kindness uh, meditation or, or even the, the recognition of it that I realized, oh, we're just here connecting. That's the nature of it. People aren't here to listen to me impart my incredible expertise about something. You know, we're just connecting. That's the important thing. And it's just us. Here we are. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's when I could begin to give talks. And so I, I you know, don't usually use notes or something. It's just whatever emerges. And and so um, that's really beautiful that I said that. Uh, I mean, it, it comes down so much of the time to equanimity, which is really peace. Mm-hmm. Um, and certainly if I heard the word equanimity long ago, I would have thought that's really bizarre. What does that mean? And uh, so many times we think it means indifference, but it really doesn't. It's such a, Um, a huge capacity of our hearts to uh, see what we're going through, to see what others are going through, and um, to just have this kind of perspective of uh, there is change in life and uh, there is light in the darkness and darkness in the light. And we're not avoiding pain um, because some things just hurt. That's like fundamental But we're holding it in a way that it's almost like when I said earlier, the awareness is stronger than the visitor. Um, It's like the love is stronger than the pain even, you know, and, and look, the room we create, the environment we create, where all of this can come and go. um, It is, it's built of awareness. It's built of love and it's built of the sense of community that we're not so alone. And And then we can really be with things in a very, very different way.
1: Mm. Well, Sharon, um, as you know, when we first started speaking, you talked about how when you went to India for the first time, as a young, young, as a teenager, actually, Mm -hmm. that you felt if you had to describe how you felt or perceived yourself, it would be fragmented and, um, you know, here you are. Fifty years later, and you've yeah. you've you've been able to help so many people get centered and concentrate. And as you say, that create that kind of find, touch that equanimity, which which opens real world possibility.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I something else that I I realized when I was at the Ram Das retreat is. You know, a lot of what's happening now is people telling stories, Mirabai Bush telling stories and Jack Cornfield mm-hmm. and Trudy telling stories and kind of now you're this elder, yeah, elder yeah, of the... Yeah. In, and there's now the lineage and, you know, I started... I thought what an incredible thing, what an incredible phenomenon in our time. I really believe that 100 years from now, if, we're, if we survive, you know, this spiritual tradition landing in Western culture... And help being an agent of transformation will be something people will see. And what an amazing thing that you you are you are one of the three people who really kicked this off.
0: Well, it is really, it's amazing and unbelievable. And like everything, you know, you just have a life and you live it step by step. Like people often referring to Jack or Joseph and I in beginning IMS, they say, oh, you must have had such vision, you must have had such, you know, courage. And I said, well, not really, you know. I was 23 years old. Mm -hmm. Uh, Our mantra literally was, we can always close in a year. If no one wants to come, we can always close in a year. And we couldn't, you know, we had no money. We raised $50,000. The Fathers of the Blessed Sacrament, because it was their novitiate, gave Mm -hmm. us a $50,000 mortgage. We couldn't get a bank to give us a mortgage. Even that
1: part of the story is so beautiful. Yeah, it's like we couldn't yeah. do
0: it. So these three people went to the bank themselves mm-hmm. and got personal loans so that we could open the place. And so they weren't very happy when we would say we can always close in a year because you know, yeah. they were going to lose all their money. And so, um, you know, and somebody's father gave him a car. That's how we had a car. And <laughs> it was like it was that kind of life. And and uh, we just didn't know. And we did one step and then the next step and we made lots of mistakes and we discussed everything, which is another fascinating aspect of it. Should we have Buddha statues? I don't know. You know, the Buddha did Mm. not teach Buddhism, the Buddha taught a way of life. What if it makes some people uncomfortable? But on the other hand, there is a tradition, there's a lineage, you know, I didn't make it up. You didn't make it up. Let's, you know, so everything was up for grabs and that's what I felt when you were talking about the retreat I did with Joseph. It's like, Oh, I felt an echo of that time. Yeah. You know, here we are again. Like, what's it going to look like? What are we going to do?
1: Yeah. Oh, it's wonderful. I'm really grateful for you, and I'm grateful for IMS, and I hope I want the world to progress so that I can come back there.
0: Oh, I'm I'm sure it will. I have actually a lot of confidence.
1: Okay, good. Jane Goodall told me she also has confidence that we'll, we'll get to be together again. So I thought, mm-hmm. well, she's also, she's lived a long time and yeah. seen a lot. Yeah. And, Well, blessings to you. Thank you so much for doing this and making time. And thank you for being with me this year. Oh, well, thank you you so much. Really, it's
0: great to hear your voice.